Morning, everyone. Uh, I'd love you, if you've got one, to get your notebooks out and uh, your Bibles as well. Uh, we want to get your head, uh, your brain whirring this morning. Uh, I'd love you to make some notes um, of anything that you feel the Holy Spirit saying to you as we're talking. Okay, I want you to think, what three words would you like to have as the headline for your obituary? Three words. You can write it down. Have a think. Passionate. Loving. Enduring. Faithful. What is it? Now, I'd love you to think about the church community. When people think about us here, Alive Lincoln, 2020, and the imprint that we have left on the life of this city, what would they say? What three words would you want people to describe us as a collective, say in a hundred years time when none of us are left? It's a bit scary, isn't it? hundred years time when none of us are left, what three words would you want people to say about us, Alive Lincoln, the guys who knocked around together, did life together, worshipped Jesus together, uh, congregated in this place together in the 2020s, how would they describe us? I think we all want to leave an imprint on the world, to be remembered for something really good, something really significant. I don't know about you, but uh, I find some of that a bit hard, though. Sometimes a bit of a struggle. I feel like my life is just one continuous spinning of all the plates, making everything, uh, keeping everything together, uh, making sure uh, that I get all the jobs done, I get all the things that I need on my to-do list done. I think the only significant contribution I make often is a reduction to the laundry pile uh, on the landing of our house. I feel like I'm too busy getting the kids to school with the right pack-up and homework and sorting the logistics for gymnastics and football and netball and dancing and craft club and baking club. And that's just Paul's extracurricular activities. <laughs> Life can sometimes feel a little bit overwhelming, can't it? Just trying to keep our head above water. You know, if you're not alone, if you feel like that, a recent study shows that millions of Britons are overwhelmed by mounting work pressures, busy social calendars and financial worries. And more than six out of 10 admitted to struggling to keep their life organized with everything that they've got going on. You might feel too small or insignificant, too busy to shape anything that lasts beyond your lifetime. I found this quote that I thought was quite cool. Uh, this is by someone called Laura Marling. She says, I've been quite fascinated by the re relative insignificance of human existence, the shortness of life. We might as well be a letter in a word, in a sentence, on a page, in a book, in a library, in a city, in one country, in this enormous universe. And that kind of fear and insignificance has kept me awake at night. Does it keep you awake at night? Maybe it doesn't. Perhaps you're just thinking that it's not my job to do anything significant uh, in this city. Uh, I'll leave that to Joy, who talks about it all the time. Maybe you're just happy to be here for your short, allocated slot, and someone else can make history. You know, life can feel a bit temporary, can't it? But at the same time, it can feel really full on. 
And this morning we want to talk about what the Bible has to say about that and what God would like to speak into it. You know, the entire Bible is full of stories of people who have left their mark on humanity in very humble ways, just walking out their obedience in life with God, reducing the laundry pile and yet following Jesus and doing something significant. Ordinary people following God in their ordinary life, shaping something, something for the people who are going to follow them. The Bible talks about us passing stories from one generation to the next, telling our children and their children and their children of the things of God. And there are countless stories of things being established and built for God, for his glory and his honor in the Bible. Things that would last from one generation to another. You know, the temple became the ultimate expression of God's name and presence. His glory literally resided there. Have you ever been to somewhere and found evidence of someone who's been there before you? Like when I walked up the stairs of our house and found makeup foundation handprints all the way up it from Poppy and her friend who'd put, uh, been playing with my makeup and got it all over their fingers and tried to get down the stairs. Someone who's walked the path before you came, you knew that they were there before you. Just after Paul and I got married, we went to Canada on a trip with my parents to see some of our family out there. And we were in the Canadian Rockies. It was amazing. And we were walking uh, up hills and mountains and around lakes. And everywhere we went, we saw these things that the Canadian Arctic people called Inukshuks. They're stone landmarks or cairns built by the people of the Arctic. And these structures are found all over, from Alaska to Greenland, uh, in Canada, and uh, around in the really cold bits, uh, this region above the Arctic Circle. It's got few natural landmarks. So these Anukshuks, can you see a picture? as a, a picture on the screen. Are believed to have been used for navigation as a marker for travel, routes, camps, fishing, hunting grounds, places of worship and honour that mark sacred ground. And like the inhabitants of the great stories of the Bible and the temple builders, they were way markers. And like the people who have previously inhabited this city that we live in, who've made monuments or marked the way of their journey, each rock in the Inukshuk or the Cairn is a life and each life is a story. And so we've got, uh, here we tried to build one but these rocks aren't good so you might want to put your glasses on <laughs> to see the, uh, uh, what it would look like for us as people in 2020 to uh, continue to just keep on building on the Inukshuk or the Cairn of life in Lincoln. We're building a marker or a way, telling a kind of story of the people that we are in Lincoln. More than just a building or a monument, it's a story of the kind of community that we are becoming. It's the story that illustrates what we hold dear and what we value. It's the story of how we treat our neighbours and love our city. It's a story about how we engage with the structures and the systems of the city that we live in. And the marker that we are building displays something of the glory of God for people to see in the future. 
This marker displays what we believe about God and what we believe he's saying about the city that we call home. It's marker, it's, this marker is something that we want to be remembered for. This is about vision and what we see. What do you want to be remembered for, personally? And what do we want to be remembered for? A couple of weeks ago, during half term, Joy and I went over to Birmingham um, to see some friends. And in my head, in my memory of Birmingham, it's pretty run down. Um, it's quite bleak. It's not a place that perhaps you'd want to be. But we went into Birmingham city centre with our friends. And I was stunned by the transformation since I was last there. The investment that's taken place, the tram lines that are being built into the city. The vision for a city that has clean air because it has no cars in it, that is pollution-free. They're actually going for something and investing for something in that city. And Joy and I were talking about this, and as we came home and travelled back, we were thinking... We love the investment that's taking place in Lincoln. The thought that actually things are beginning to flourish and to grow, but we long for more for this place, for a greater vision for us to see what this place could become. You see, historically, Lincoln has been a strategic place, a great place, a place of significance and importance. And we believe that as we um, think about Lincoln and think about its future, that's what we believe for it. How many of us have been to um, different places or you've met somebody new and you're not in Lincoln and as you meet them, they say, oh, where are you from? You say, oh, I'm from Lincoln. And you get this kind of smile and they're like, oh, that's great. Where's that? How many of us had that conversation where it's like, you, oh, oh, it's kind of East Midlands, kind of, kind of trying to describe it, you know, it's one of the biggest counties in the country, but for some reason it seems to be missing from the map and there's this sense of it being hidden and we believe that this is a time for a generation to rise up to say Lincoln is no longer going to be hidden this is a place that is going to be seen because of what God is doing there are prophetic words over this church and I believe over this city that we've taken hold of and the church and the congregation here has taken hold of to get to the heart of this city to take the heart of it now, we just don't want to take the heart of it as land for the sake of it. We want to define something here about the city, about its nature, to shape it to what it is, that actually it can be visible again, something prominent and wonderful in this place. And so point one is this, in days of vision, things are built for God's glory. What do we want to be remembered for? What do you want to be remembered for? What do we want to be remembered for in this place? You see, I believe there's um, things through Lincoln's history that are quite fascinating to me about things that took place that actually we are famous for, or perhaps have been, uh, we are remembered for. There's a guy called Charles Sib Sibthorpe, Charles Sibthorpe, who was an MP in 1822, it was the first time he became MP. He was MP for on-off for about 30 years in Lincoln. Uh, mostly as an independent, sometimes an ultra-conservative. And um, he literally seemed to take it as his mission, as, and he was caricatured as this, to stand against any change that was possible. Any change. doesn't matter what it is, he would stand against it. And he held this belief that anything that would change things from the country or the city that he knew when he was a child was wrong. So, anybody coming in, any foreign influence, he was like, absolutely not. Train lines, absolutely not. He thought they were a passing fad, and um, he needed to stand against them. So he became known for the things that he stood against. He offended Queen Victoria, famously. Um, she refused to get off the train when she came into Lincoln Station because he had offended her. And, but he had this, this situation of just saying, this will not change. I don't want us to be like that. 
I don't want us to be people like that. I want us to be people that look at situations and say, this is what we can do to change these things. I'm inspired by the story of Chad Vara. Some of you may have heard of him. He's a local vicar here in Lincoln. And um, he heard the story. In fact, the first funeral that he took as a curate was a 14-year-old girl who had killed herself because she'd just come on a period and didn't know what it was. She thought it may have been some sexually transmitted disease. And so she killed herself. She ended her life because of it. And he said, as he took the funeral, little girl, I don't know you, but you've changed my life. And he set up the Samaritans because he saw something and said, that's not okay. That has to be different. And so he set up a simple line where people could call, people could make a phone call and say, I'm in need, I'm struggling. I need somebody to talk to. He saw something and said, I'm going to make a difference to that. What are the things that frustrate us in the world? Are there things in our city that frustrate you? That actually as you look around, you think that's not the way that it should be. I just wonder if there's a starting place for us to talk to God and to say, God, what can we do about this? What can we pray into? What can we believe for? I'm struck by that fact that we can make a difference if we see some of those things that actually, rather than just viewing them as frustrations and things just to um, pass by and say, that's a shame, but actually to get hold of them and say, with the grace of God, we can do something about this. You see, I'm believing for us to do something in our day, in our time. That us, us as a congregation here can see something built for God's glory that will honour his name and will be a legacy for future generations to come. Now, biblically, this idea of things being built for the glory of God usually uh, in the Old Testament, ended up being around a temple. If we um, have the next slide, you can see the descriptions of the temple being described in many ways. You can see it described as the temple of the Lord, a holy temple, the house of God, the Father's house, a house of prayer, a house of sacrifice. It's holy and beautiful. It's a sanctuary. (coughs) It's easy for me to say. And... But interestingly, when we look in, particularly in the Old Testament, the state of the um, temple actually spoke or said a lot. Thank you, I appreciate that. (coughs) 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 It will go. It will clear. I think it's gone. (coughs) There we go. The state of the temple actually said a lot about the nation at that time and what was taking place. And so we're going to look at two characters, two kings, Joash and Josiah, and look at what the temple was like in their day. So turn in your Bibles um, to two kings, or second kings, depending on which version you're using, two kings or second kings. And we're going to look at two chapters, verse tw- uh, chapter 12 and chapter 22. Chapter 12 and chapter 22, King Joash and King Josiah. And so I'd love you to get those open. Start with um, 2 Kings chapter 12. And um, I think that's going to be um, our starting place. So turn to there. You see, I believe that we've got to be people who go for renewal in our time and in our day. Because in the days of renewal, this is our second point, things are restored and repaired for God's glory. Things are repaired and restored for God's glory. So two examples here from the Old Testament. Let's start with Josiah. I think that's right. No, let's, let's start with Joash. That's um, chapter 12, Joash. We're going to start there. And Joash reigned for 40 years, and he worked to repair the temple. Now, as you read this story, what we find is he picks up 
the leadership of the nation, and he's, um, he's leading, he picks up his kingship as the temple is in disrepair. Now, Kings, 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles describe the lives of the kings who led um, Judah and led Israel. And one of the things that they always do, the writers are there, always add for each of the kings is a short description about them at the start to highlight whether they were good or bad, uh, whether they were evil or whether they did the right things. And it has a short description for us, which you can read each time. It says that they did right or what was right in the eyes of the Lord, or as other kings did, they did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. That description, that summary is always in place so that we can see straight away as a snapshot, this is the person we're reading about. This is Josiah, he did, did what was right. This is Joash, he did what was right. And so Joash picks up his reign when the temple is in complete disrepair and is broken down. And so he straight away says, that's not okay. That's not the way things should be. And so he sets his priests to work. He gets them to work. He gets them um, raising finance so they can get some people to work because he doesn't want it to be in disrepair. It had been in disrepair because generations before had left it to fall down. You can see on the screen now a picture of a tower in Lincolnshire, uh, which earlier this year, just at the beginning of this year, collapsed and fell down. It was in complete disrepair. No one knew the state, the exact state of its disrepair. But you can see um, that the whole tower just completely collapsed and fell down because it had been left from one generation to another in a state of disrepair. But Joash said, that's not going to be okay. That's not going to be my story. That's not going to be what I'm going to do. We're going to repair the temple. We're going to look after it. We're going to restore order to those things that need to be in place. Turning your Bibles to chapter 22, we read about Josiah, our second story. Josiah, again, picks up from the king before him. And in verse 2 of, 20, of chapter 22, it says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He walked in all the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. This is someone who followed after God. It's fascinating to me that this is only 10 chapters after Josiah I'm sorry, after Joash has had to restore the temple. Ten chapters later, the temple needs restoration again. There's an ebb and there's a flow as the kings and the generations made decisions to either renovate and look after the temple or to leave it to go into disrepair. There's choices that each generation has to make. Now in Josiah's story, what is wonderful that as, he's re- as the temple is being restored, the law of God is found. Moses' law is found hidden in the temple. It's been ransacked, it's been destroyed, but one of the priests years before has hidden the law of God inside the temple. And it's found. And Josiah is absolutely buzzing about this. He gets it read to the whole assembly. He gets um, the whole nation to come together so they can hear the law read to them. He reestablishes the Passover so that they can get back into the rhythms of grace and the rhythms of the, the way of God and of following after him. He sets the whole assembly understanding the law of God. He reinstates the Passover. He repairs the temple. Because those things are really, really important to God. That when the right things are in the right place, in the right order, we find that our whole life falls into line. He gives direction for the nation. He brings leadership to who they are. And by doing right in the eyes of the Lord, he saves that generation from the coming wrath of God for the generations before. You see, there's a story that we can connect ourselves into. 
And I'm longing for us to see and to catch a vision together that actually we can be a generation that creates something, establish something in this place for our time and for our day. But we can also choose to do something to build a legacy, to build a picture that others will see in future generations, that they will get hold of and say, look at what they did in their time. Now, I remember the stories when I first um, arrived here at university in 99, and um, we, I came to University um, of Lincoln, and um, this church was the closest, and so therefore the easiest to attend, and 18 years old, and someone who likes to find the easiest way to do things, and um, that seemed the most sensible church to attend. And, but what I found here was a group of people who were radically passionate about Jesus, and it was infectious. I loved it. I loved to be here each and every Sunday and to connect with it. But what I didn't know at that point was the fact that only 10 years before, this building was derelict. This building was empty. This building was unusable because the balcony was unsafe and the pillars weren't in the correct positions. They weren't holding up the balcony, and so it was condemned. And the congregation here were meeting in different places, and then a word from God came. You need to return to the building that you have to take the heart of the city. And I believe that as those people then sold their possessions... They worked hard, they um, renovated this place, they sold the things that they had to raise thousands and thousands of pounds for a miracle offering that then got this place fit and ready for the glory of God. And I believe that myself, Joy, other people who have arrived here as students are part of the first fruits of what God wanted to do in this place. That is, the congregation took the heart of the city in this place. It was for purpose to see the kingdom of God come. And I love the fact that as they took that seriously, that changed my life. It transformed it for good as, as God got hold of me and I got hold of him. I believe there's something so powerful that in this moment we get to add to that story. We get to say that that's what they did in their time 30 years ago, but we're going to be people, men and women of God, who are going to choose for this day in our time to do something brilliant. This Rise and Build, we want to see the, the Brayford Suite renovated. If you go up to the kitchen, you'll see that it's been ripped out. It's a little bit dusty, a little bit messy, but we want to see a space created there where actually we can see the kingdom of God come into lives. You know, where people come for butterflies and ESOL to learn English, whether uh, we're exploring chapel in there or having youth meetings, whether um, we're creating spaces of hospitality and having food together, whatever it might be, whatever we're doing, there's a space there that we can encounter God together. We also have an opportunity um, over the next few weeks and months to get involved with a city-wide project called Crisis Cafe. I'm not sure how many, how many of you will have heard of it, but Crisis Cafe is essentially a church-wide initiative and is an opportunity for churches to come together for every evening of the week to put on a safe place for people who are in crisis between 10pm and around 2am in the morning. That With referrals from the NHS, people can come to buildings like this where actually they can find people who are trained, people who will love them, support them, listen to them and help them. I believe it's a wonderful opportunity for us to get involved in. We've expressed an interest um, to those leading that project. We want to get involved in that. And if you'd like to volunteer or find out more information, I'd love you to put your name down at the connection area at the back. And um, you can just volunteer for one night a week or less. And I think there's just an opportunity for us to serve people who are in that moment who are in crisis. And so I'd love you to get connected to that. Put, put your name down at the back. Stacey Marriott from Highcombe is leading that project for the city. And um, the NHS are paying for that. They are funding it. 
Because as the church comes together, there is power in what we're able to do and achieve together. So I'd love you to get connected to that. But we believe that this place, this building, should be the HQ for the power of God in this city, for the supernatural signs and wonders. I love the story of Lois being able to raise her hands. And I don't know about you, but I want those stories to be everyday occurrences as we journey with God. Not one off, not one off but everyday occurrences. So there's a vision that comes and things are built to the glory of God. And then there's days of renewal where things are renewed. And as a generation, we get a choice. Are we going to be in the story of renewal or decline? But there's something wonderful that comes um, in terms to pass when those things come together. And so point three is this. When vision connects with renewal, God's people willingly respond. When vision connects with renewal, we willingly respond. In both our Old Testament stories here, you can read in chapter 12 and chapter 22. You can read the accounts of how the people um, worked to re-establish the temple, how they brought finance in, the things that they did. Um, in Joash's story, they collected money from the, cen- uh, from the census, which is a temple tax, which Moses instigated, which had been lost. People came and gave personal vows um, to give those things to God, and people brought money voluntarily. In Josiah's story, he told, people to get the, he told the priests to get ready. And there's this brilliant story where they drill holes in the tops of these boxes, so that um, they can um, process these things and process the finance that's coming in. So everybody coming into the temple has an opportunity to give in. And as they find in those cases, in both of those cases, huge sums of money are given and the temple is able to be restored fully and properly. And I believe this is what we want to see here for you and for me. It's an opportunity where we get to come together to create something to renew something, to build something. That as literally we're standing on the shoulders of the giants of those that have come before, today in this place, we get an opportunity to say we're in for what God wants to do in this city. In both of our stories, secondly, we see good administration. We see people who are working hard to administrate what God is giving. We see that in 2 Kings um, chapter 12, verse 6. And in verse 10, they have two people counting the offerings um, for accountability's sake. And the Bible is teaching us what does it mean to administrate these things well. People get involved, they work hard, they bring the best of their skills and their abilities to what God is doing. And finally, there's a willingness to work. We get an opportunity to get involved and in verses 11 and 12, they're working this out. Everybody is is, um, offering something. Everybody is doing something for the glory of God and for the generations to come. And in this way, we see that the legacy of God and the glory of God continues and moves forward. It has an opportunity to see God's goodness come. See, when vision and renewal connect, something sparks to life that does something incredible. And I believe we have an opportunity to be a generation in this time to say we see something together of the vision of God. We're called together for renewal to see God's kingdom come in this city. And together, we can see those two things come together and the glory of God come in this place. I believe Jesus is inviting us into his story. Jesus is inviting us into his story of what he's doing generation to generation. And we have an opportunity today to respond to him. We're going to do that in a few ways and a prayer is going to come up on the screen that I want us to pray. And if you're here today, if you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you're not yet a Christian, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus and to give your life to him. So a prayer is going to come up on the screen. We're going to read this out loud together. 
And then once we've read it, I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes. And once everyone's closed their eyes, I'm going to ask in the stillness of that moment, if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus today, that you have a moment and an opportunity to respond to him. So let's read this out loud together. Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today. I admit that I've lived my life without you and I've messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you. Help me submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen.